So if you have your Bibles, join me in Romans chapter 8, verses 9 and 11. Romans chapter 8, verses 9 through 11. The author is Paul. He wrote this on his third missionary journey somewhere in 57 AD. He wrote it to a Gentile church, particularly that was in Rome. One thing about the book of Romans, it is one of the deepest theological epistles in the New Testament, and quite powerful. Paul masterfully goes through the first three chapters showing that everybody is condemned. Chapter 4 through 8 talks about how we are justified. Since we're all condemned, what can we do? And Paul addresses that. 9 through 11, he talks about the nation of Israel, chapter 12, on through the remaining book, uh, he talks about practical application. So this morning, I want to look at three things. First of all, the Holy Spirit lives in us. The Holy Spirit lives in us. And on this Easter Sunday, uh, I pray that this message will touch your heart. Notice what Paul writes in verse 9. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. And I don't know if you've noticed that we've gone through this Easter series, which started three weeks ago. There's always an either or this side. So you have on one side, you either belong or you don't belong. And now Paul addresses this again. You, however, are not in the flesh but you are in the Spirit. And this word, sarks, which we have seen many times, the flesh, uh, really refers to the psychological aspect of human nature, which contrasts the spiritual nature. So you have, on one side of the equation, you have natural man, unregenerate man, and on the other side, you have a man that has been indwelled with the pneuma, or the Holy Spirit. That aspect of human nature, which is characterized by or reflects typical hu human reasoning and desires. So what the Apostle Paul is saying here is that you are not in that nature anymore. Something happened. You no longer live in that realm in the sense of the spiritual life. Because the pneuma, the Holy Spirit, has taken up residency in you. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. So what this really addresses, it really addresses a complete change that happens in the life of a person. This isn't about doing good or being good or doing good things or saying good things. This is about a transformation that takes place. And when Jesus died on the cross Good Friday, which we had a great service Friday, uh, he died and paid for our sins in full so that there can be a new day. And of course, today we celebrate the resurrection. It's not a book transformation. It is a heart transformation. And when that happens, we begin changing our worldview. We are no longer in the natural man in the sense that uh, we see things from a worldly perspective it actually changes, a psychological uh, mindset begins to change, not based on what I do, 
but based on the Spirit living in me. So Paul says, you are not in the flesh. You are in the Spirit. Then he goes on to add here, if in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you. I, I study a lot on these texts. And, and you, you read this word, if, as if it's a question. Now, there's four classes of conditional statements in the Greek language. The first would be the fourth class. It may be true, but it's doubtful that the Spirit lives in you. But you just got through saying, you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit. A third class conditional, it may be true or it might not be true. Paul's not really sure whether they're in the flesh or in the Spirit. That needs to be rejected. The second class conditional says that the statement is not true. So why would Paul just now say, you, however, are not in the flesh, but you're in the spirit? So it must be the first class conditional, which carries the idea of sense in the, in the form of it being true. So Paul's not questioning. He's not saying, okay, if it's there, he's saying, since the spirit of God lives in you, since the spirit, the sense in the fact that the Spirit of God dwells in you. There's no question in Paul's mind that these people have been indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The word dwell, dwells in you is actually a compound word. It's oika, and that word refers to taking up residency. Think of a, a mom and a dad and a grandfather. They're all in the living room. They have, in a sense, taken up residency. They live there. Something to be mindful is that when we trust in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, God promised through Jesus that the Holy Spirit would come into our heart and take up residency. So Paul says, hey, look, Romans, you are not in the flesh. You're in the Spirit because the Holy Spirit dwells in you. This is not about how good we are. Please understand that this morning. This is about how great the Holy Spirit is in our hearts, in our lives, and making a transformation. And that's really the message of Easter. It is the transformation that takes place in the life of the believer. So as we think about our lives and we think about the Holy Spirit being inside of us. He's the one that makes the changes in our lives. He's the one that begins slowly, and it doesn't happen overnight, trust me. I got saved October 1981, and it was several years of trial and error, mistake and faltering. But finally, the Holy Spirit begins to produce fruit. Now, I will say this. There are those that have claimed that they've been saved, but have never been saved. The issue is, did you really mean it with Jesus? And that's a question I cannot answer for you. That's a question you must answer in your own heart. I do believe that when you've truly trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I will never repent of this. I'm going to say it. You are saved eternally once and for all because the blood of Christ covered us all of our sins. 
He took care of all of that on the cross. And when we mean business with God and we trust in him, the Holy Spirit comes in and he never leaves. So, once saved, always saved. Quite phenomenal. Now, on the other end of the ledger, this is believers. On the other end of the ledger, you have unbelievers. And I don't think Paul's writing this in the sense of, look how superior we are. The language has moods. And I've been trained to look at those moods and to understand what Paul is saying. In, in other places, Paul says, I tell you, even with tears in my eyes, that there are those who are disobedient to the gospel. They are enemies of the cross. So Paul writes this, anyone who does not have the spirit of Christ does not belong to him. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven except he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. I often worry and wonder as, as a pastor the issue of salvation. Because the issue of salvation is about the entire ball game. If you're not saved, you're not going to heaven. And if you're not saved, you do not belong to Christ. This is, you know why some people won't trust in Jesus Christ? I'm prideful. I don't need Jesus. I can do this on my own. Well, the problem is you can't. I like what, uh, and this word belong means, uh, the Greek word is ami, which means to exist, but also in association with someone. So uh, Paul's saying if you don't have the spirit, those that are over here, they've trusted in Christ. They're not in the flesh, but these over here, they're in the flesh, and, and they don't belong to this group. Why do you think when you're out on the highways and byways of life and you tar start talking about spiritual things and you get unbelievable pushback, where do you think that comes from? It comes from the unsaved, unregenerate person that does not know Jesus. I don't care if you're baptized. I don't care if you belong to a church or you've been in Sunday school your whole life. If you have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you don't belong to Christ. Way back in my first church, I had a deacon who had been a deacon many years, and he walked forward and he trusted in Jesus Christ. Quite amazing. But praise God he did. Douglas Moo in his commentary writes this, the contrast between being in the flesh and being in the spirit is a contrast between belonging to the old age of sin and death and the new age of righteousness and life. Picture again. We're in the spirit. They're in the flesh. The difference between the two is that the ones over here now have the righteousness, the imputed righteousness of Christ through the presence of the Holy Spirit and the ones over here, they still belong to the old sin nature and that's why we see our world going nuts today.
and all the things that are happening in our culture and our society. You say, well, it's a left issue, it's a right issue, it's a Republican issue, it's a Democrat issue, it's an independent issue. No, it's a sin issue. It's unregenerate man not being saved. That's the issue. And so as we live our Christian lives, we should be out there telling people about Jesus. Douglas Moo's absolutely right. Again, he splits it right down the middle and says there's really no middle ground on this issue. You either are or you aren't. Uh, you, have a, you have a flashlight, if, if you will. And one day I, I, I had gone camping and I had the flashlight with me and when I went to turn it on, guess what? It didn't work. <laughs> and you know why it didn't work? It didn't work because it didn't have batteries in it. You have to have batteries in a, in a flashlight for it to work. And the only way that you can have spiritual life in Christ is you have to have the Holy Spirit living in you. This isn't about, I'm going to do this, do this, do this, and somehow, in the grand scheme of things, when I die, as long as my good outweighs my bad, I'm in. No, otherwise Christ was crucified needlessly. Why was Jesus on the cross? He was paying for your sin and mine. Quite amazing. So this Holy Spirit not only lives in us, but he makes us right with God. I spent most of my sermon effort just on this verse. But if Christ is in you, you could say, but since Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, there's two ways to interpret this passage. The first way is that the believer has been freed from the power of sin. And that's absolutely true. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the benefit reaps to holiness, leaps to holiness, and the result is eternal life. That's, that's true. But Paul's looking at this more from a payment aspect. The second way to interpret this is physical death will be experienced by all. And I think this is where Paul's going with this because he just got through talking about uh, in 6.23, for the wages of sin is death, that separation from God. There's coming a day. Unless Jesus comes back and I am so ready for Jesus to come back. Aren't, aren't you all? <laughs> I'm ready. Ready for him to come back. If he doesn't come back, you can put your name right here. Y'all know I love baseball. Death is batting a thousand. Everybody within the sound of my voice this morning, including myself, if Jesus doesn't come back and take us to be with him, we will die. That's fact. And yet we live our lives, those who are outside of Christ, live their lives as if there's nothing beyond this life. Paul says if Jesus Christ has not been raised, then we are the most pitiful people. But he has been raised, Paul says in Corinthians. Therefore, and this is Paul writing uh, 
couple of chapters back. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, y'all know who that was, Adam, one man and death, death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all had sinned. So you go back to the original issue of sin with Adam and Eve, and from that event, all humanity has the sin nature. Therefore, in Ephesians, when Paul says, before the foundations of the world, I chose you in Christ, God knew there was coming a day when Jesus would have to come and go to the cross. You know, I've seen, and I've, I've been a pastor now probably way too long, 34 years. And let me just say this. I've witnessed a lot of deathbed transformations, if you will. And let me tell you this. Believers, there is a quiet, confident, knowing that when they breathe their last breath here, they'll breathe their first breath in the kingdom of God. And I've sat through a lot of them, folks. A lot of them. Richard. Wade. I know Rosemary's not here this morning, but I'm going to share a story with you. <laughs> Wade and Irene. Same night, within hours of each other. Yeah. I was with Rosemary and the family, and we went in to see Wade, and, uh, you know, it was a sad time. We all held hands, and I said, let's pray for Wade. And Wade set up out, and he said, let's pray. <laughs> so it's like, yeah, quiet confidence. I will tell you this. I'm amazed that people can speak so confidently about something that they've never experienced. They can say so confidently, there's nothing beyond this life. How do you know? Have you ever been there? I look at these believers and I've seen amazing things. A man in Ohio. I've probably shared this before, but... I think it works with this. He said, Pastor, I need you to go visit my dad. He's not doing well. This was in Akron General in Ohio. And the family was outside, and Carl told me, he said, Pastor, he said he's been, he's been out of it. We're at the end of this. And so I go in the room, and I uh, take some oil, and I, I anoint his head. And all of a sudden, he wakes up. And he starts telling me, he said, can you sense Jesus in the room? As soon as he said, can you sense Jesus in the room, have you ever had the hair on the back of your neck go, Bleh. he said, there's a shadow over the bed. And, and I sensed it, the power of Christ. I'm not charismatic. You all know that. I'm pretty conservative. And as I left the room, I prayed with him. And as I left the room, I said, he's, he's awake. You can go in and see him. 
And no sooner had I gotten to the car when I received the call, I said, Pastor, he's not even alert. He woke up long enough to say that Jesus Christ was showing him things on the other side. Quite amazing. There's coming a day when you'll die and I'll die. And the only thing that really matters is, do you have Christ? Do you have the Holy Spirit living in you? The Spirit is life, Paul writes in verse 10. And we're going to get to the better side of the equation now, the life. That's death. We're all going to die. But the issue is we're not in the flesh anymore. We're in the Spirit and those who do not have the Spirit do not belong to Him, even though all are going to die, the Holy Spirit provides life. Numa, which is the Holy Spirit. Life, zeo, to be alive. And since the Spirit cannot die, and has not died, you go back to Genesis chapter 1, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit were all involved in the making of this world. And therefore, by that virtue, the Holy Spirit cannot die, is alive and well. And from that moment when the Holy Spirit comes in us, even though this body is deteriorating, even though we are growing old, even though our bodies hurt, and I'm speaking of myself now, Inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. This is not about an external thing, folks. This is about an internal deal with the Holy Spirit. C.B. Cranfield, in his commentary, wrote this, The significance of spirit is life because of righteousness is that just as they're having to die due to the fact of sin, so they're being indwelt by the life-giving Spirit as a pledge of their future resurrection is due to the fact that they are righteous. What that means is when the Holy Spirit comes inside of me, I say metaphorically goodbye to the flesh. I am now indwelled by the Holy Spirit who at that point makes me positionally righteous with God even though I may continue to struggle and sin in this life. I am positionally righteous with God and therefore nothing can hurt me beyond this life because I am secure in the hand of God. Titus 3, 4 and 5, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we have done, because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and the renewal by the Holy Spirit. So, let me say this. Jesus rose from the dead. He's reigning at the right hand of the Father. In Acts chapter 1, he says, I'm going to leave, but I'm going to send a helper. And that helper is going to come inside of you, take up residency in you. And what happens then at that point is that we are made righteous by the rebirth of the Holy Spirit. He cleanses us. Again, that's only possible because of what God did. And you're only saved by the grace of God. 
And so as we exit this morning and as we go back out into the world of strife and hardship and struggle, know this, that you are secure in the hands of God. And it gives us the opportunity and we should never be joyful over a lost person. Think about the person that led you to saving faith. What if they didn't? What if they didn't share the gospel with you? I think of the army chaplain that led me to saving faith. I have never forgotten that. And the screen. He said, what do you think Jesus sees on that screen now that you've trusted him? And I said, I don't know. I was a baby Christian. And he said he sees a blank screen. It's all been washed away. The issue is the heart. When we think about our culture today, it is a heart issue. Until that is changed, nothing's going to change. And the change agents other than the Holy Spirit are you and me. When we're out there on the highways and byways of life telling people Jesus loves you and having a heart for them. Well, not only does the Holy Spirit live inside of us and make us right with God, but the Holy Spirit provides resurrection power. This is where we're at today. Since the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead... Let me make a quick note about the resurrection. In scripture, there were over 520 witnesses to the resurrection. If you were to put those 520 witnesses on trial today, and you had 520 witnesses, there would not be a jury that would say, okay, this is fake. 520 witnesses to the resurrection of Christ over a 40-day period, they saw the risen Savior. I can tell you this morning, with every fiber of my being, Jesus died on Good Friday, but the grave did not hold him. He has risen from the dead, and we have victory. Victory in Christ. Hmm. Some scholars have long believed that this was the site of the burial of Jesus, not far from actually the place of the skull. Uh, they brought in in 2016, and I watched a video the other day, in 2016 they brought in some of these secular uh, archaeologists and science, scientists that were going to disprove the age of this tomb. So they go in and they are allowed to examine and take artifacts. The one scientist said, I was not expecting what I found. He said, I can confidently say through carbon dating, which I don't always trust, but carbon dating, I can confidently say this goes back to the Roman era. Now, of course... 
thousands and thousands of people visit this site every year. I would tend to think back in 2,000 years ago, it probably looked something like this. The grave is empty. That Easter morning that the passage Angie read, he is not here. He is risen. Therein lies our victory. Christ rose from the dead. The grave could not hold him. The grave could not contain him. The grave could not defeat him. And therefore, when Jesus rose from the dead, it was a victory. We may get beat up in this life, and we may seem like we're not doing any good. But I'm going to tell you this. You are going to see Jesus face to face when you've trusted in him as your Lord and Savior. And someday you'll bust through the kingdom of God and you'll see your Savior face to face. And it's all because Jesus lives and reigns. Well, pastor, that's, that's Jesus. What about me? Well, Paul addresses that. The Holy Spirit, Christ raised from the dead, and now look at the last part of verse 11. Since the Spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, we've looked at that word, that means to reside, take up residency. He who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, here it is. This is your resurrection moment. Will also give life to your mortal bodies through the Spirit who dwells in you. The grave has no power over us by virtue of Jesus Christ. I love that song the praise team sang this morning. No scheme of man shall ever pluck you from his hand. I got a, the video's a little dated, but I wanted to play this because I, it's really a good message for us today. So much has changed since last Easter. The world has been shaken. Life has been disrupted. What we once called normal seems like it may never return. It's been easy to be discouraged, to lose hope, to feel the foundations of our faith begin to crumble. It's hard to keep our feet planted when the ground beneath feels like shifting sand. Now more than ever, we need to stand on the truth of Easter, a day which changed our eternity, changed our world forever. Death was defeated by life. Sin was consumed by mercy. The grave was swallowed up by victory. See, even in the darkest of moments, the love of Jesus could not be stopped. His faithfulness 
could not be broken. And when the dust settled, Jesus, he stood alive and victorious. Today, may we remember the truth of Easter, the power of the resurrection, and the promise of eternity. Yes, the world has been shaken, but the grave, it's still empty. And Jesus, he's still risen. Great little video reminder. Let me summarize this sermon and then let you go. The Holy Spirit comes into our hearts. He makes his home inside of us. When that happens, you are put right immediately with God. Because the Holy Spirit is holy, he makes us holy positionally. The Holy Spirit comes in our lives. We are put right with God, and since he lives in us, we will confidently at some point in our lives cross the great divide into the presence of our Lord and Savior. And we owe this to God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit.